I will pull up the carpet and walk out of here. <laughs> if, if it's not, if it's not up to Zach Parr. If it's not up to my. It's not desires. up to snuff. Okay. Okay. Oh, up to your desires. Yeah. Not even. Wow. Okay. Well, in I that case, desires. how about we get started? Let's do it. All right. Well, hey, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And today we're going to talk about... The Bible. The Bible, that's, that's right. Zach, by the way. <laughs> if you don't know that voice, that's Wooly himself, formerly of Wooly and Sasquatch, but now... Just Zach. Just Zach. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, how you doing, Zach? Doing great. Why in the world are you here? Because you guys asked me the other day if I wanted to be on the podcast, and I said yes. Yeah, so... It is such an honor. It is. It is. And um, as you said earlier, we want this to sound great and to be incredibly professional so you don't roll up the carpet and walk out. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to walk out of this room. Yeah, you literally, you literally have to literally have roll to up the carpet, the carpet to open the door because it's so thick. The carpet's so thick. It is thick. We so you literally have to roll. And it's if it was a red carpet, then that would be even more awesome. Maybe we can get Michael well, to shave the You want to roll bottom. out the carpet, oh, that's true. You not roll, roll up the carpet up when you're walking. That's true. Yeah, yeah that's that true. <laughs> uh, well, hey, Zach, um, specifically hey. while we asked you here, wasn't just for your glowing personality, which it is. Uh, it is glowing. a glowing personality, effervescent. <laughs> um, but uh, I wanted you to uh, talk a little bit to our people who listen uh, about young adult ministry. So, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of information? What's going on in the young adult ministry? What What are you guys hoping to see? What are you moving towards? What are the goals? Tell me about it a little bit. Yeah, I think young adult in general is just kind of a weird term because Mm. it almost puts this, uh, I don't know, uh, ideal in your mind that you're not exactly an adult yet. Mm. You're only a young adult. (laughs) You haven't quite arrived. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, um, you grow up going to church, especially myself, grow up going to church, being a member of a church and you are a part of a kids ministry, typically a solid kids ministry, then a high school ministry. You're really plugged in. You go to college and you're part of this college ministry. You graduate college and there's like no place mm. for you. And so the hope for the young adult ministry that we have at Highland is to connect those people that are disconnected in such a weird time in their life. And I think the weird thing too, uh, the, there's multiple layers of a young, young adulthood is that there are those that are single, just out of college, those who have been in their career for a while, those who are married. Um, And so our hope is to really get people connected into Highland, what Highland's doing. We don't want them to get connected into like just this small group, but like be a part of the larger body of Christ. The way that we do that, though, is in small ways. We do that with our connection groups. We have young adult connection groups. We've got uh, different ABFs that people can attend, like they're for young, married, newly married, nearly married, the Common Grounds ABF, get them plugged into that as well. But one thing that we do each month, the end of the month is called Last Tuesday, Last Tuesday Worship Night. Um, every month, last the last Tuesday of the month, this month being September, so September 29th, is 
is also my wife's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Uh, um, well, not today, <laughs> but, but yeah. September 29th. And um, uh, so we gather what we are doing now just because it's a weird time is we're meeting in the chapel at 7 p.m. We'll come together. We'll uh, do some praise and worship, and then we'll pray. We won't get in small groups like we would before pre-COVID, but we'll get in... I guess praying out loud if we're with someone, praying with them in our sections off seats, um, staying as safe as possible, following guidelines, and then we will end in worship. Couple of things that we want to do in the future. This I'm sorry, I'm talking a really long time. Um, a couple things that we want to do in the future is uh, hopefully have like a seminar or conference on a weekend for some like for the married couples, the young married couples, having someone come in and talk about relationships, fine, well, whatever, finances, mm-hmm. any, anything like that. Um, really bad thunderstorm. Gosh, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> and um, But then at the end of the semester, this semester, we want to have a big get-together with people. We'll see what that looks like with COVID mm. and restrictions like that, but having people to be able to all come together. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome, man. So then the the primary ways that um, we're kind of effectively ministering to young adults at Highland right now would be our young adult connection groups. Yep. So if you're not a part of one of those, uh, on September 13th, we'll have our... Uh, CG extravaganza. We'd love for anybody that desires to get connected to come to that, but especially if you're a young adult, we want you to come to that. Um, on that same day, we're actually doing a uh, young adult barbecue lunch. And so we would love for all the young adults to go online and register so the, and then come for lunch. Yeah. So the CG extravaganza, what is that? Where is it? Yeah, so the CG extravaganza is uh, basically we will have every single one of our CG leaders with any sort of space at all from 1 to 100 spots open. Uh, they'll come and we'll actually meet outside the Life Center after every gathering on September 13th. They'll be under tents. You'll have the opportunity to go up, walk up, ask questions, meet the people who are actually leading. And then if you so desire at that point to go ahead and jump into one of the groups, the Young Adult Barbecue Lunch. Uh, we want to give more information about the things that we have going on uh, in the Young Adult Ministry, including our connection groups, including uh, last Tuesday, yeah. including our Young Adult Fellowship Nights. And mm-hmm. so uh, we're going to kind of highlight those things a little bit more in depth at yeah. that. And the barbecue is free of charge. It's free of cost, which is awesome. But we do need people to register, correct? Yes. So if you, want, is, Waco, if you want to eat. If you'd like yeah. to eat. Yeah, you don't have to register if you don't want to eat. Well, yeah, if you just want to come eat, hang out. Totally. Yeah. Because you don't like of Zach's effervescent personality. Yeah. yeah. Which really shines <laughs> through on right the, uh, in your voice. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Um, yeah. And so, Hey, thanks Zach for, um, being on to talk about young adults, but we're also going to talk about the Bible. And so many people don't know this, but, uh, Zach isn't just a good looking dude. He's not just effervescent. He's not just a (laughs) podcaster. He doesn't just handle everything production related and young adult related. He's also really, really smart. And so we brought him in specifically to talk about the Bible because I don't have great answers most of the time. Uh, and so Emily thought we needed a ringer. 
Oh my Silly word! Bride. Yeah, throw that on. Throw it <laughs> is that on. What is happened? that really what happened? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember that happening, but that's yeah. alright. We couldn't just have him on to talk about young adults and then ask him to leave. Yes. We, yeah, <laughs> that would be awkward. <laughs> We'd right. love for you to talk about okay. the Bible with us. <laughs> so we have been going through Highland's statement of faith, which is essentially the list of the vision, the beliefs that Highland has, and you can find that on the website hbcwaco.org. Um, and so we are on the section on the scriptures. And so uh, what it says on the website is that the sole basis of our belief is the Bible, composed of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, the Holy Scripture. We believe scripture in its entirety originated with God and that it was given through the instrumentality of chosen men. Wow, that's a big word. Scripture thus at one and the same time speaks with the authority of God and reflects the background styles and vocabularies of the human authors. We hold that the scriptures are infallible and inerrant in the original manuscripts. They are the unique, full, and final authority on all matters of faith and practice, and there are no other writings similarly inspired by God. So there's a lot there. Um, So... Where do we want to begin? We want to begin with maybe the composition of the Bible? Like kind of let what me, is the... Yeah. Let me begin. You begin. How about that? Go for it. Uh, what is the Bible? What is it? What is the Bible? Um, the Bible... Okay. For one thing, the word Bible, which I learned this re- recently, comes from what? Like a Latin and Greek words for book, right? I learned this recently, which is pretty awesome. Um, But it is composed of 66 books of the Bible, right? So how many in the Old Testament and the New Testament? 39 39 and 27. That's right. Right? If my math math is correct. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it was written by more than 40 different authors, and they were all different types of people, right? So shepherds and kings and um, tent makers and, you know, old people and young people and (laughs) different demographics of folks. Um, But it was written over a period of 1,500 years, which is so cool to me because there's so much in Scripture. Well, all of Scripture connects to each other, right? And it doesn't contradict itself. But even with all that diversity, um, you can see kind of the thread of, yeah, God's handiwork on it. But it is the, we believe that it is the inspired, the breathed out word of God, um, for us and that it's fully sufficient and, um, yeah, to everything that we need to know about God. So how do we feel like inspiration works? Do you feel like it's like, um, the Holy Spirit possessed an author and had him (laughs) write down or do we like, what does that, what does that look like? Well, the, the the science of that, the physics of that, how does it work? (laughs) Zach, how did that work? So really, what happened? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I think the best place to understand scripture is scripture. Second uh, Peter one twenty one says, "For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit." And so I think what that is saying, what Peter is saying um, through the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit inspiring the people writing the Bible. Um, that it wasn't as if I. It, it's not as if God is sitting there and in the beginning, and then it's like, okay, in the beginning, but through, um, through men, which is crazy that God would choose to decide, would decide to use humanity, um, through that, through the Holy Spirit, bringing those words. Yeah. And so I think, um, wasn't like an automaton. He didn't use people like a typewriter or a, 
word processor mm-hmm. if you're old like I am, um, or I don't know what do you what do you guys use these days, Zach? Uh, computers. Computers. <laughs> um, but he used particular men in a particular place at a particular time speaking to a particular people, right? And so he used their, uh, they, they used their words, they used their um, feeble minds, right? As, as much as even they probably couldn't understand some of the things that they were writing down, God used their imperfect vocabulary to write to these people. And so I think when we think about inspiration, uh, the idea that God used men, that he uh, carried them along in the spirit to write down his word becomes a really important thing. So as we think through inspiration, we don't think of God kind of taking someone over and writing this down, but God using uh, the words and the language and the context and the um, and the illustrations and the analogies that they would be feel familiar with and, and comfortable with and allowed them um, again, through their um, uh, through their own ability to write those things down, which I think is helpful in answering a lot of maybe some of the objections to the scriptures, uh, because again, God didn't just jump in, possess someone, have them write something down, and then jump out, and then they're like, "Whoa, what happened?" Mm-hmm. Um, but He actually used men to write it, and so you can honestly say that the Bible was written by men but the Bible was written by God. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. And it's divided into these two segments that we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. So can you kind of describe the, (laughs) the kind of the purpose of the Old Testament, the purpose of the New Testament? Give me kind of a good two minute overview. (laughs) Can you do it in two minutes? Two minutes. I don't know know if two minutes is long. Like, How would you describe if somebody said, Hey, like what's the difference between the old and the new Testament? What would you say? Could I say the Old Testament points to Jesus and the New Testament describes Jesus? I think, you could, I think one Jesus. could say that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I would land. We get the introduction to God mm-hmm. in Genesis, and then uh, everything is pointing forward from that moment on mm. to Jesus. I, and I think, too, really understanding. Um, and again, I think this gets to some of the objections in the Scripture. If we look at the Bible as just this kind of disconnected, um, anthology of works, um, an anthology is just a collection of works, uh, this collection of writings, um, then we lose the fact that actually um, the Bible tells one coherent story written by one divine author that spans the entire timeline of history. And so um, we just if we understand that Jesus is the central figure, and Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, I read it to my kids, and the, um, the byline on the title is the Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name. And so it either speaks about him directly, as we see in some of the prophecies, or it points towards him, uh, or it reveals our need for him, um, but you see that st- God's story of redemption of his people culminating in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of mm-hmm. Jesus as the central point. And then the rest of the story is either how we live in light of what we learned about Jesus uh, and his life uh, and what's going to happen when he comes mm-hmm. back to rescue and or not rescue, but to um, collect his mm-hmm. bride. That's awesome. I think growing up, um, grew up in 
Well, I, I grew up in church. I grew up going to VBS, being a part of kids' ministry. And uh, I think one of the things that I heard my whole life was that, you know, you read the Bible as if it's this roadmap for life. And I completely disagree with that. I believe it's a unified story that leads to Jesus, that the Bible is not about us, but it's about God. It's about how he works in humanity. But like, I'm not going to open up the Bible and read, okay, so this is the decision that I need to make today. Um, And um, I think you see that it's a unified story that leads to Jesus uh, in even the order of it. So if you look at the the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, the what ancient Jews. This is why we had him on. Uh, so, um, which is an acronym, Tanakh. T is for Torah. Uh, Nach, uh, the N in A is Nevaim. So Torah meaning law or teachings. Nevaim meaning uh, prophecy or prophets. And then um, Ketavim meaning uh, writings. Mm. So um, went from the law to uh, writing or prophecy, which is different order than ours. Although Joshua judges and a uh, few others are in that same order as what we see it in. And then after that is the Psalms and then ends with Chronicles. Um, but all of it is pointing to someone that God, to this hope, to, to God restoring, like even at the end of Chronicles, it's like, and someone will come, but then you end Chronicles and you're like, wait, that's it. Mm. Like, where is this person? But then in our context, Christian context, and we see the New Testament, which we start with the Gospels, the end of the Old Covenant, Old Testament, um, into the New Testament, we see that fulfillment of everything that has mm, happened, awesome. has been said. And um, so just, and, and then you follow that with letters from apostles, what you follow it with Acts, the, the church. And then the Acts of the Church, and then all of these letters after that, and each one is constantly pointing back to Jesus that He was that fulfillment, mm. and that um, He is the fulfillment. Not not even that He was, but also that He is still that fulfillment. Yeah, and I think one of the things I like about um, John. Um, not John, our pastor, I do like him, he's awesome, but the book of John is you see that often in the first two or three chapters where uh, it'll talk about something that Jesus did, and then it'll say, and his disciples remembered that it was written, or they remembered that the prophecies said, or they remembered this from the scriptures. And I always think an interesting point of fact is that the Hebrew Bible in our Old Testament um, is... uh, the same it it consists of the same works but they're just organized a little differently right and so you've got uh first and second samuel first and second kings first and second chronicles are um together they don't have the first and second it's just samuel kings chronicles right uh and then some of the prophets they had the minor prophets are all one book but they're all in there right Uh, and and so we're using the same old testament um that the hebrews used and so you've got unity there i think um but then when you get to see the um and one of the things that i love about jesus right he says i didn't come to abolish the law 
Uh, I won't mm. do away with one jot and tittle, but, yeah. but he did come to fulfill it. And, and even when he says, you know, crazy and awesome things for us, it, I guess, it depends on what side of the fence you stand <laughs> on. It's crazy or awesome. I think it's awesome um, when, when he'll say to the Pharisees things like, you search the scriptures in vain. And I think this is, to your point, it's the roadmap for life. Mm-hmm. You search the scriptures in vain because you think that in them you have life, but you miss that those things are they're pointing towards me so even jesus claiming that um that that hebrew old testament that the prophets that the law that those are all pointing towards Mm -hmm. him uh, i think is really important in the way we view the bible because if we understand the scriptures and i think by extension understand god as being about us right Mm -hmm. all about us um, then we have a tendency to read the scriptures wrongly. And so I, I would say that's a bad hermeneutic, in which a hermeneutic is just a way to read the Bible. Um, but if we understand that the story, the whole story of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is about God and his redemption of his people through his one and only son, um, then it changes the way we view not only the scriptures, but it changes the way that we view ourselves in light of that God. And and I think along with that, the I think for the longest time, I viewed the scriptures as almost like a chore. Like mm-hmm. I, I need to read the scriptures, but not really understanding it. But when you begin to study it, then you you begin to uh, dive into it. You see the you the unif unification of it i guess mm-hmm. that that each thing is constantly pointing forward towards jesus that each story is is it's not as if there's just separate stories about one another like mm-hmm. they're not individual stories about people but they're all tied together they constantly point forward towards this hope and i that just over the past couple of years really I, i've seen the beauty like so beautiful like rich scripture like not just like you see how unique god is like how creative god is in that and how he wrote and how he used these people and like once you see that you and you begin to realize that oh it's it's not just like individual stories it's not just a story about david or it's Mm -hmm. not just a story about a prophet but it's actually all pointing in the same direction off of each other too, like even referencing each other. And Yeah. And it's literally God speaking to us, you know, that it's living and active. It's the two edged word of God. It's a two edged sword, you know, that divides the the bones and the marrow. And um, one of my favorite passages comes from Psalm 119, um, where the psalmist says that I have not departed from your law for you yourself have taught me. And so that's one of my favorite things about scripture. And um, I mean, I know all of us have felt this as believers have felt this, but when there's that lack of desire to spend time in the word, uh, we can often come up with, um, you know, tips for, okay, I'm going to sit in the same spot every day. I'm going to do it at the same time. And those things are helpful. But ultimately, how would you guys say is how do we cultivate a love? for scripture. So, um, for example, Psalm 119, um, is just such a good passage in describing the word of God. And, um, I would recommend that, you know, you guys read it and, you know, those of you listening and even just look for references to precepts or law or commands and all these things. And the amount of times that he says that he delights in the law (laughs) that he loves, he, he views it as he treasures
treasures it even more than silver and gold. And all of these things kind of express this deep love and devotion and affection for scripture. Um, And so uh, how would you guys say is we as a people of God can develop a deep love for God so that it's not just a duty or a chore, a a thing, Mm -hmm. just something to check off the list every day? Um, so if you, if you look at the history of scripture and not just how it was written, but also how it was heard, it was heard aloud in groups. Mm-hmm. And so I think one, one great way, maybe not necessarily starting, but, uh, would be to read it aloud with others and, um, read it in congregation reading, congregational reading, stuff like that. Um, the other thing that I would highly suggest is um, really not just reading, just reading words, but actually dig into the context, the cultural context, read, studying the history of it. I think if you're going to study any uh, letter or prophe- uh, prophecy or uh, poem, like there are different genres mm-hmm. in the Bible, and you need to know how. God is speaking through that to understand it. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to read poetry as a narrative, Mm. like it doesn't make sense. That's like reading um, the Lord of the Rings as a poem. It it has a different context. (laughs) I mean, you're, you're not reading it as a poem. Um, And so understanding the context, how it was written, um, all of the background behind that as much as you can learn. Yeah. And I think our understanding of the scriptures, not, and when I say that, I don't mean like the way we understand the things that are written in it, um, but the way we understand what they what they are, right? Mm-hmm. God's self-revelation to us. And so I think we read some of these stories in the mm-hmm. Bible sometimes, and we're like, well, man, God talked directly to Moses. I wish that he would talk to me in that way, not realizing that yes. what you have open mm-hmm. uh, on your table or in your lap or right before you is God speaking to you. Um, that these are, uh, Timothy, Timothy S. Ward wrote a book called Words of Life, and this is one of the points uh, that I think he makes incredibly well, uh, the, is that that if we were to approach the Scriptures as this is God speaking mm. to me, again, I'm not going to the Scriptures trying to figure out how to find the right combination of verses to um, kind of crack and figure out my situation, but I go to the Scriptures thinking, this is God speaking to me. Every single time I open it, I find God speaking to me directly. Mm-hmm. Um, that He has revealed Himself. Number one, it's crazy the fact that He's revealed Himself at all, um, but specifically that He's revealed Himself. And so we don't have to wonder about the heart of God. We know it through the scriptures. We don't have to wonder what he expects. We know it through the scriptures. We don't have to wonder how he feels about us through Christ Jesus. He's revealed it in the scriptures. And so really thinking about the scriptures as God speaking to us uh, becomes really important. And then I think on the other side of that, as we begin to develop the discipline of studying the word, uh, our tendency when things are difficult is to say, well, I don't want to do it. And so because I don't want to do it, I don't want to be legalistic about it. Not understanding that there's a massive difference between legalism and discipline. But though there is a massive difference, there is a fine line, right? And, and that fine line between discipline and Um, legalism is this. I think that if I read the scriptures day in and day out and I'm legalistic about it, I believe that somehow 
that justifies me before mm. God or that put, puts God in my debt somehow. Discipline is, though I don't want to read this right now, I know that the best thing for me to do is to read this right now. And so part of it, I mean, we can come up with strategies and we can do all of those things, but at the end of the day, if we don't have the discipline to just sit down and mm. read it and we always use the excuse, well, I don't want to be legalistic, then you're always, I mean, I think, Zach, to your point, you're always going to find a reason why you can't do it because it's difficult and it takes discipline. Uh, and so really understanding that this is God speaking to me. Every time I open it, I get to hear from the Lord directly. Uh, and then on the other side of it, it takes a cultivation of discipline. And, and it doesn't mean that God's going to love me more. It doesn't gain me any sort of right standing. God doesn't owe me anything because I've read it. But I find him there. Mm. He meets me there. Yeah, and I think reading things um, from Scripture, kind of seeing kind of what you said earlier, Zach, is what does the Bible say about itself, right? And so like in 2 Timothy 3, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It's it's beneficial. It's helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Um, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 8 says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Um, and so it stands forever, right? It's firmly fixed. Um, it stands alone. Um, Deuteronomy 4, uh, 2 says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So it's sufficient, right, in and of itself. Um, we know from um, like Hebrews 1, right, that long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And so we can learn about Jesus from the scriptures. Um, and one of the things that I love is that um, Jesus promised his disciples early on, right, like before, shortly, shortly before, I guess, his crucifixion, that he was going to send his Holy Spirit, who was going to teach them and bring to their remembrance everything that he had taught them and one of the primary ways that God fought that Jesus followed through on that I think was through sending his spirit and to inspire the writing of the New Testament right and so the the New Testament this collection of books is divinely inspired and it's partly it's a fulfillment of Jesus's promise to his disciples to say I'm going the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance all the things that I taught you um, and so that's what the, the the New Testament is so here's a question but we also but, believe that the Old Testament is oh totally inspired, yeah correct? both of them are <laughs> okay. obviously yeah okay so let's talk about that all right so I want to talk about both the Old and New Testament obviously sorry did I say that it wasn't no. <laughs> okay um, but how were I guess like okay so on a human level how was it determined I guess like which books of the Bible <clears throat> it were divinely inspired? Do you guys have any insight into that? Like, how did people sit, you know, did they just sit around and say, mm, I like this, I like that? Or, like, how did, what were kind of the, the defining factors for both the Old Testament and the New Testament? Which I know were totally for, different stories. For the composition like, of the Bible. Are you talking about the canon? Yeah, for, sure. For modern, like for Christians. Okay, so I guess we can start with the Old Testament, right? Okay. So the like Jews, how those books came. Right. Let's start with the Old Testament. Okay. okay. Um, so over the course of Jewish history, uh, there were scribes and people keeping the scribes keeping these books together, putting them together. Um, 
not I'm, I'm not a bible scholar so please also i will also suggest but look up everything that we talk about too don't just take it for word you you're need saying to don't trust well. zach basically don't trust <laughs> or jeremy um emily you can me, trust or me <laughs> um so um around and jeremy you can correct me if i'm wrong but um around the second temple was when the hebrew bible the tanakh was like finished right like all, all these books pieced together that this is the official you know th- this is what we believe this is what we follow there were other books as well like uh, other second temple books what which we would call apocrypha like the books that are in the apocrypha um that they would read alongside that but they didn't necessarily see it as divine mm. um so uh as far as like the like did people sit around where their councils and stuff like that i again i could be wrong but no i there were scribes that um that pieced those together that worked throughout history through the holy spirit um that pieced those together those were the tanakh that were scrolls um that uh people read uh aloud in synagogues that people studied um in the temple um and then um the okay i'm going to jump to the new testament if you want to jump in you can sure. um so the new testament so uh we've got all of these letters um from paul from peter from james from john uh we've got the gospel the gospel according to matthew the gospel according to mark gospel according to Luke and John, and we have the Acts of the Church, which was also written by Luke, uh, that kind of coincides with the Gospel according to Luke. Um, and um, so, in three sixty-seven, three sixty-seven, ninety-seven, in ninety-three, about the councils. No, 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 oh, not no. the councils. In okay. three sixty-seven, I want to say it is. Um, it might be three fifty-seven. I'm sorry, uh, Athanasius who oh. was an early church father, wrote a letter mm. uh, on Easter, and he put all of the um, uh, the Matthew through Revelation, he put those in an order, and he sent that out. And so what kind of happened over the centuries leading up to that is that letters were passed around. Mm. There was no printing press. Right. So it wasn't like people had their own personal Bible like we do now. We're so blessed to be able to, even have our News own didn't travel yeah it, it, people shared it by word of mouth they shared the letters they made copies of the letters if they could um but um they um they, well, they were needing like to distinguish yeah. false teaching from true teaching absolutely right? because yeah. the further it spread yeah. the further away it got away yeah, from you've got, eyewitnesses you've got and, issues mm-hmm. with apostles gnostics yeah, um for sure just that that was one of the big heresies which there are multiple but uh athanasius sorry uh, so he was kind of like, he officially put it into a letter. And so that's kind of mm. what everyone believed and what everyone carried. And so traditionally, um, the church, um, the Catholic church, even from then and us now who are Protestant, um, who are most likely listening to this, um, that's what we believe. Mm. Those 27 books from Matthew to Revelation of the New Testament. Um, the whole Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, 
the books are the same. If we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, our Old Testament, just like Jeremy said earlier, is the exact same as the Tanakh, just in a different order. Mm. Um, but uh, our Roman Catholic friends, they add in the Apocrypha Deuterocanon books. Um, mm. Our Eastern Orthodox friends add in those Deuterocanon, but also add in other Second Temple writings as well. And, and that is, that's what makes up their Bible. Whereas for the Protestant church, or for us, we probably don't even read books in the Apocrypha. Sure, no, because uh, our Bibles don't have it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a big thing, uh, the books that, uh, one, are included in the canon, and I'm going to make a point about the canon in just a second, but the books that are included in the canon were all written before the end of the first century, right? And so in order to be included in the canon, it had to meet some standards, right? So the standard was it was either written by uh, one of the apostles or, or one of the prophets or somebody who was with them. So there had to be an eyewitness account. If you wrote something, uh, Emily, today, and you're like, hey, I think this should be in the canon, and they're like, well, hey, you did you eyewitness? see Jesus? <laughs> were you an eyewitness or were you, yeah. were you with one of the apostles? Then... Great, get that out of here. The The second thing um, is that it had to be written in that time frame, right? So uh, we need to know that um, we need to know that that it had to be written before the end of the first century, before the death of the last apostle, mm. right? So if it was written after the death of the last apostle, then it couldn't be written, have been written by an eyewitness or someone who was close to that eyewitness. Uh, and so then also, uh, what you're looking at, is it coherent and does it jive with the rest of uh, the story? So if, uh, so like the gospel of Mary or the gospel of Thomas, um, those things, they, um, they tell a story, but they don't tell the coherent story. And that, that's the weirdest thing about me. Like um, now in our culture, now they'll take a one-off, something like the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Mary. And they'll say, Hey, see, see, your scriptures are wrong and you suppressed this. And well, there's a reason they did that because nobody corroborated that. Right. right, right. Um, it was so different than every other writing that was included. In Which the, is them. how any kind of witness type scenario right. works even right. today. Where uh, yeah. I mean, you, that's all, none of this is logical, to right? uh, point to the fact that the, the scriptures are under far more scrutiny oh my goodness, yes. uh, and they require far more, uh, textual evidence, far more of those things for everybody outside of the church than any other. Doc- Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> but, and so there's a reason that these um, scriptures are in. And honestly, um, I think it was 140. There was, there was a list that was started um, prior to, you know, even the 300, prior to the councils where the canon was set. And so that would be. Uh, in uh, 393 and then finalized in 397, right? Um, but here's here's the point I want to make, right? So the scriptures are about God, they're written by God, and they are preserved hmm. by God. And so if you want to know who put the canon together, I would contend, well, God did. Hmm. And here's why. Um, so F.F. Bruce wrote this book called um, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable, Right. And so what he said was this, that, that we have to be emphatic about the fact that um, the, the canon or the councils weren't the ones who made those books authoritative. Those books were added because the church already saw them as authoritative, right? That's the reason they were passing around the letters. That's the, and so this, and, and the same with the Old Testament. 
Um, and so you had the law. God gives it to Moses. Moses leads the people of Israel. They see the law as authoritative. Nobody had to give that authority because the church already operated as if it was the case, right? Same thing with the prophets, that they viewed those things as authoritative, those words. Uh, and so they were put into that Old Testament canon. In the same way, the New Testament, the church was already viewing these things as authoritative. So while there would be some debate between those apocryphal books, um, and, and again, I don't want to make it seem like there's nothing useful in any of those works. I think um, you've got the Maccabees and the Zealots, and, the, and you read those things, and, and they are extremely helpful for the history of Israel and, and some of that um, intertestamental um, information. Like we, because from the end of Malachi to um, the first verse of Matthew, which is what, 400 and something years, like you hear nothing, right? They call it the silent period. But what you have in that intertestamental, in those intertestamental writings, it is kind of a history, um, and it's and it's helpful. It helps to lend color and context and all of those things. But we don't consider those authoritative writing now because the church didn't mm. consider them authoritative writings then. Mm. Okay, so here can I ask you an application question? No, I don't know where we are with time. But, Forty minutes. All right, yeah, we're good. So here we go. This is I feel like this is a good way to kind of close it out. So for our listeners. Um, knowing that the scriptures are unique, that they're the full and, and final authoritative word of God, correct? How? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay. We know that it has everything we need to know about faith, right? And the way that we live our lives. Um, how does this apply to me personally today? Like as I'm about to go home and take care of my babies for the rest of the day and, um, you know, get some work done and go work out or whatever. How does knowing all of this, that the scriptures are the final, full, authoritative word of God, how, you know, all of it, um, how does that impact me today? Is that a big question? It's pretty self-centered. How does it or how should how, okay, it? Okay, how should it? Oh, it's not self-centered. Okay, how does it affect you, Zach? How does it affect you, Zach? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think um, in knowing these things, how... How does it affect me? Mm-hmm. Uh, it means that the creator of all of the universe, the creator of everything, uh, did not create and step back and just saw what, and just to see what would happen. But he actually, um, he stepped in. He cared about humanity enough that he would write this story, leading, pointing to him. Uh, of how he would redeem all things. He would bring all things uh, back to himself. And so how that changes my life now is that um, that means that I can get to know that creator. I can, what one of the, the if you want to know the character of God, read his word. Mm-hmm. If you want to know what the creator of the world is like, read his word. Um how he's compassionate, how he's gracious, um, all of these things about him. So um, what that means is that we can get to know him, that we can, we can read through scripture and we can, we can see him throughout all of it, pointing to redemption, pointing to him. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so I think kind of what I would say, how it um, should affect the way um, I live my life is uh, one, I think that if God is real, 
and I believe that he is. Uh, and if uh, God has revealed himself, and, and so God has revealed himself generally to everyone, right? We see it in Romans 1 that um, his invisible attributes and his divine power can be seen in everything that he's created. And so everyone is without excuse. And if he left it at that, uh, he would be justified in condemning every single one of us because of our sin. But in his kindness, in his grace, in his mercy, he didn't just reveal himself generally through his creation, but he's revealed himself specifically in his word. And so if I believe that God is real, and I do, and I believe that he's revealed himself in the scriptures, and I do, then that means that I need to believe that what God says about himself in the scriptures is absolutely true. Um, now, you can love that or hate that, but that means that when the, when the scriptures and the God of the scriptures um, make claims over my life, that he uh, is worthy um, of making those claims and that he is able um, and, and he should make those claims. But I think for me, kind of the way that it helps inform the way I live my life is not not only is everything that he says about his himself in the scriptures uh, true, but also what he says about me in Christ is absolutely true. And so if I believe that in order, and this is what makes Christianity distinctly different from every other world religion, if I believe that somehow... I have to clean myself up and make myself acceptable to God, that I have to be a good little boy and I have to work really hard and I have to, it is exhausting because what the scriptures say about me is that I cannot keep the law. That's the reason why the law was given, to show me that I can't keep the law. But Jesus came to fulfill the law on my behalf. And so there's nothing left that I have to do. And you think about the rest for people who are just killing themselves, trying to make themselves acceptable to God. But what God says about me in the scriptures, right, in relation to who he is, in relation to what Jesus has done, is that I can find rest for my weary soul in Christ and Christ alone, which is a beautiful thing. And so what every other world religion would say is this is how I clean myself up to make myself acceptable to God. But what I learn about God and his nature and his character through the scriptures is that he stepped down into history and he took all of the energy and all of the effort and all of the goodness and righteousness that I should have lived with but couldn't because of sin, and he did it. And not only did he do it, but then he went to my place on the cross, right? He bore the wrath and the penalty that I should have borne on my own. And because of that completed work, proven by the resurrection, uh, and then further even heightened uh, by the ascension where Jesus right now sits at the right hand of God and he advocates for me, what that allows me to do is rest. And so what I learned in the scriptures is that where God found me, he won't leave me. And so he's going to transfer transform me from one degree of glory to the next, and that um, he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, and he will absolutely use those all things to complete the good work that he started in me in the day of Christ Jesus. And so I think what I find in that, the way it should impact my life, is it should give me a lot of hope. It should help me to rest in who Jesus says that I am, uh, and, and at the end of it, um, and I think even if we just kind of speak about our cultural moment that we're in right now, it helps me to manage my expectations of a lost and dying world. I have a tendency to put um, 
everything that Christ has called me to as a believer in Jesus, uh, in the ways that he has grown me, in the ways that he has matured me, and to take those things and put them on people who don't believe them at all. So I'm surprised when the world goes the way that it goes. And to also expect this world to be what the next world is right. going and, to and be. And what I find the in the scriptures is the world's going exactly how the scriptures say it's going to go. And so uh, I think I find a lot of hope, I find a lot of promise, mm-hmm. I find a lot of um, comfort in the fact that everything I read in the scriptures, not only um, do I believe it's justified historically, not only do I believe um, that it's justified from a um, textual criticism standpoint, but also experientially, I've experienced to be true, um, which is a pretty compelling case for why I should live my life according to what it says. That's awesome. So plug, in a few weeks, we're going to tar- t- start a series specifically on the Bible, correct? We are, so, yeah. Tell us about that a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about the scriptures. We're going to talk not so much about what it is because um, we spent a little time doing that today. We'll talk a little bit about that, but more than that, we'll figure out how we get into it, how we study it, how we grow to love it like uh, David. Uh, the good thing is we'll have people who are a lot smarter than we are. Totally. <laughs> They're <laughs> well, a lot more eloquent. Yeah, Zach, you've it. proven to be a lot more eloquent you are than awesome we are. Today. Wooly in the flesh. Thanks for being with us today, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Highland Groupcast. Groupcast is a production of Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. For more information about Highland, visit us online at hbcwaco.org.